This is episode 16 of One Page at a Time, Reading an Enchanting Hour with Megan Cox Gurdon. Podcasting from Virginia and Dubai. This is One Page at a Time, where we bring you strategies and resources for using books in your home. We are your hosts, Jill and Amanda. Hello, hello. This is Amanda. And this is Jill. Welcome to One Page at a Time. Today, oh my goodness. I feel like this is going to be a foundational episode for the podcast, but also I know that this book that we're talking about, The Enchanted Hour, I feel like it's going to be a foundational book in my life and kind of a staple in my parenting as well. I 100% agree the same way that we were so entranced by the Read Aloud Handbook and I've given it as baby shower gifts and I can definitely see myself doing the same thing with this book. And that's a good sign to me. The fact that I want to share it with everybody who will listen to me is a wonderful sign that what we're talking about today is just so wonderful and amazing and needed to be out there in the world. It's so true. This is So this book is coming into its second year. Uh, it was published about a year ago. And so I'm really excited that the paperback copy is going to be published soon. And there is something really wonderful about a hardcover book. But I feel like I'm more likely to gift paperback copies to people. Yeah, I don't know that's why. Probably true. Yeah. I don't know why either, but, but I feel you. Yeah, I'm just really excited to get my hands on a physical copy. We were both reading a digital copy of this. I feel like if I could write a book, I would write this book or I would I would aspire to write this book. I mean, Megan is such a great author. I <laughs> I'm not trying to say that I could write this book, but I would want to write this book. <laughs> There's so much in it and it's our interview with Megan is just the tip of the iceberg. There's just so much in this book. It is a very well-condensed argument that covers, it's a very holistic approach to covering why reading is so good for you and for the people that you're reading too. I agree. And and we were chatting about the interview before we started it. And we were both like, how on earth are we going to talk about everything we want to talk about? We try and keep our interviews kind of shorter, 20, 30 minutes. And we're like, how are we going to fit it all in? And we just couldn't. There is no way. And so definitely, if you are, if your interest is piqued with this interview, check out the book because it's even better, which is saying a lot because the interview is wonderful. Yeah. The, I think the one thing that you really can't get from an interview or really just any other way is the stories, the personal stories that she gives um, as examples in the book. There are so many things that are going to really stick with me that she talks about. There's a really touching, I, I guess, an interview, but she was speaking with a child, a teenager who has autism. And that really stood out to me, that story. And there were just several really good um, experiences that she shares. I wholeheartedly recommend that you read this book. And I mean, I don't know, we should probably just get started with the interview because we could talk about how awesome the book is all day long, but you should hear from Megan instead. 
One great thing about starting this podcast has been to connect with so many people whose passions align so well with ours. Our guest today is one I knew we would connect with as soon as I heard about her book. She has been the reviewer of children's book for the Wall Street Journal for the past 15 years, along with a myriad of other writing gigs, including writing her book, The Enchanted Hour, all about reading aloud to your children. She has read to her five children since the day she brought her firstborn home from the hospital. Now that her kids are all almost grown, the reading aloud habit has proved hard to kick, and she finds herself reading aloud with her husband during those evening hours that used to be filled with reading to their children. We are so excited to chat with her about reading with our kids and the wonderful book she has written that is chock full of all the evidence you need to convince you that our kids need us to read to them. Welcome, Megan Cox Gurdon. Thank you, Jill and Amanda. I'm delighted to be with you. And we are very, very delighted to have you. I just have to say that we, like I said in the the introduction, we knew that we would connect with you because of your book and the things that you have to say in there. And and to start with, in the book, you are very open with the fact that while you recognize the benefits and the pleasures that come from reading aloud to people of all ages, a substantial portion of the book focuses on reading to the young. Um, I was kind of surprised at first when I read that. But your evidence was so clear and even urgent about the importance of it. Um, and I just was wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. I mean, look, the reading aloud is a kind of very, a very inexpensive and incredibly powerful way to give children all the things they need when they're growing and developing. And, you know, older people, it, there are wonderful benefits. And we can talk about that for, you know, adults, for teenagers, for the elderly, But, you know, in those early years when children's brains are growing so rapidly, that's the time when the intervention makes them, you know, can have the most impact. And of course, we really care about that, right? Because we want all our children to do well. We want them to be able to function at school. And, you know, having read to my own children, I knew something was going on. I knew that it was something very meaningful and it had this extraordinary power in our family. But I was amazed when I began researching to find out, you know, what scientific evidence is there for this, you know, this feeling that I had that I, I could see that my children's vocabularies were expanding like crazy. I could see that the experience of us reading together was drawing us closer together in all kinds of, you know, both physical and esoteric ways, um, you know, emotionally connecting us, etc. And it turns out that there is evidence for all of it, that reading aloud is something that will, it, it, you know, it creates uh, the conditions for optimal brain development. It creates conditions for optimal social and emotional development, all sorts of little sort of skills and things that children need to have that you might not think would be connected to the experience of reading, like their ability to control their impulses, their sort of self-mastery, their, their empathy for others. All of these, you know, attributes, which are skills that children have to acquire, can be traced back to that fantastically generative experience of reading with them. That is so amazing. And we've talked a lot about, you know, evidence and and we've had other people on our podcast talking about the benefits of reading. And it's been a lot of anecdotal evidence, which is fantastic and, and definitely worth looking into. But one thing I loved about your research in your book is that you were able to connect with the Cincinnati Children's Reading and Literacy Discovery Center, right? Right, right. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they're they not the only ones doing this sort of research, but there's a wonderful doctor there, John Hutton, who I've had a lot to do with. And he has been putting children, you know, the age group about three to five, but generally they're four-year-olds. And to be honest, generally they're girls because they stay still more easily under these circumstances. But he and his team have been putting these kids through MRI scanners to see what happens in their brains when someone reads to them. 
And, you know, it's everything, as you say, it's everything that anecdote has suggested to us that it would be. Actually, and there's also, there's a, there's a cautionary note here, which I, 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 should, I should add. So when, when we read to a child, uh, let's say the standard picture book experience, when the child is maybe sitting close to us and there are pictures on the page that don't move, they're just, they just stay there. And then there's the voice of the parent or the loved one reading. It could be a teacher or a librarian. It you don't have to love the person. But, you know, the voice is reading the words on the page. There's that physical warmth of the two. What is going on in the child's mind during that time is kind of incredible. This is the stuff that John Hutton has been seeing in the scanners. There's all the different domains of the brain begin to connect and synchronize in this important way. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, this very simple exchange of reading aloud helps to create these optimal patterns of brain development. Now, one of the other things he saw in his research, and this is the subtitle of my book, by the way, it's the, you know, the title is The Enchanted Hour. The subtitle is The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction, right? When a child's brain is uh, experiencing a story told through a video, something very different happens. Again, with the read aloud experience, all the different brain domains begin to kind of connect and synchronize and, and light up. That's a term that uh, neurologists don't use, but as a layman, I feel I can use that term. When the same story or a similar story is told through a video, almost nothing is happening in the brain. It's pretty alarming. And this is something that John Hutton and his team in Cincinnati have, have really been trying to bring, bring forth. Like when It isn't just as good to let a child watch a video. It's actually a great deal worse for their brains. But you know, the John Hutton and the Cincinnati team are, are not the only ones uh, finding some of the miraculous qualities of reading aloud. There's a team in England, this is, applies to slightly older children, but they're learning that reading aloud to a classroom of struggling children, of children of average capacity and children who really struggle to read, reading them novels aloud at speed lifts them all up. It's kind of incredible what happens. This, of course, is in the school context, not the home context. But the power of reading aloud is something so phenomenal that we're really only just coming to understand you know, how great it is. So somebody who might, you know, like a 12-year-old who might really struggle to work through a novel can take it in effortlessly through his or her ears. Honestly, I've written a whole book about it. We could talk for hours. I have so much I would like to tell you, but I'm sure you have other questions. So I will, I will let you proceed. We do. And Amanda and I could talk about it for hours as well. And so, but that we have to have a limit at some point, right? Right. Um, but something that, that occurred to Amanda and I, as you were kind of talking about this, and especially when you were bringing up the difference between the MRI, like the actual physical evidence of the differences between a child being read to and a child watching a video, even a story on video. And we figure they kind of fall in between, but they're, they're now eBooks. There's books on tablets and, and things like that. That even the picture books, the same ones that we can get as physical books. And I know you talk a little bit in the book at one point about those books being distracting even because, you know, other delights are just a, a touch away. But if you are to focus on just the story, do you know, is there a difference between a physical book or the book on the screen? You know, I, I think one of the difficulties is you, one doesn't want to get into the position of shaming any parent, right? I don't want any parent to think that because they've been reading with an ebook that there's in some way, you know, less than or not as good as a parent who reads from a physical book. Those I talked to and interviewed for the book did tell me that, you know, there, there is the difference that you alluded to. We know that when a cell phone is present in a conversation between two adults, for instance, that its very presence on, a, on the table, let's say at a restaurant, 
interferes with the full flow of conversation because, you know, we know that our phones represent a whole world of possible interruptions. And so, and also, you know, enticements. And so part of our brain is always a little bit directed towards the phone. I mean, I'm sure you've had that experience. Sometimes if you put the phone out of sight, you can then, you're somehow more fully present. Well, the same thing happens during a read aloud. If you're reading off a tablet or off a machine of some kind, both you and the child have that sort of, you know, fugitive sense that there is something else out there. It's just harder to be in the moment with the person you're with, to be fully present and mindful when the technology is there. I mean, it's wonderful. Look, it allows us to have this conversation. I'm not a Luddite, not completely. But when it comes to the read aloud experience, you, you essentially, you just get a superior engagement when you're using a physical book. That's really interesting. And I, it makes complete sense. And I think we're getting to the point with technology now where we recognize the benefits and we recognize the good that they bring in our lives, but are maybe ready for a little bit more balance that we have than we've had for the past, you know, for several years since all of this burst of technology started coming out. And reading aloud sounds like a wonderful way to start getting that balance back. You know, one of the things that I found really kind of extraordinary about it is that reading aloud almost point for point kind of solves those little bits that have become rubbed raw by technology. <laughs> or, uh, or maybe that's not the best analogy, but but it's it's like a bomb that soothes all those areas that are a little uncomfortable. So where technology takes us apart from each other, you know, you can people can all be in the same room together and no one's actually together because they're all on their own screens. You know, reading aloud is the opposite of that. It brings you together in warm physical proximity and very, you know, mindful and present and together and actually, you know, engaging where technology encourages us to, you know, constantly press the button to get the little, you know, chemical reward and see the next thing and, ch and check for the update or whatever it is. Reading aloud allows us to, to focus and concentrate and build our powers of, of attention. And that, you know, I have to say, ladies, that for ourselves is important, right? We want to be able to pay attention. But as adults, we can decide, right, whether we are focused or not on things. So whether we live a life of a hummingbird online. But for children, the ability to pay attention is absolutely crucial. They have to be able to focus on what's being said to them, make sense of what's being said to them, and to, you know, to be able to apply themselves to tasks. I mean, you simply can't get through school without those skills. And it's a really grievous problem that a lot of children are having now, the, the inability to kind of sit still or pay attention. In the book, I have this wonderful, I think it's a wonderful scene, I was really enchanted by it, of a school in Baltimore uh, where the classroom of fourth graders were all listening to their teacher read aloud. And you could just see them, they all were just in this spell. Like she was just reading them a story about a tiger and a princess and a, a vanished prince. And their minds were completely enraptured with this story. And you could see it was like a, like a perfect manifestation of how you build attention span. You know, by sitting still and taking in the story with their ears and their minds and conjuring the pictures in their heads. They were habituating themselves to the pleasures, the deeper pleasures of sitting still and paying attention. So it's a great virtuous circle, and it's something that parents can give their children by reading to them at home. And, you know, honestly, we can, as you mentioned, I read to my husband, we can do it for each other as well. That is wonderful. And I love that you kind of brought in the, the school-age children and even adults, because you talk a lot in the book about reading to young kids, and it is definitely very important, and that's when their brains are developing. 
But you also make it a point to say that it's never too late to start reading to your child, even if you haven't read to them before, right? Yeah, I think, look, not every situation can be can be altered. Not every child, particularly when they hit adolescence, is going to be amenable. I think I managed to keep it going with one daughter till 17 and with another one till 16. Those are my latest ones so far that I've kept going. But there are ways to do it. There are ways to work it into the family routine. And one of the things that I have heard anecdotally from a lot of different readers of the book is how startled families are when they haven't made reading aloud part of their practice, how startled they are to find how delightful it is, and how much everyone looks forward to it. And it doesn't take very long, you know? I'm sometimes asked, you know, well, what can I do? What can I do today? Like, how can I bring the beauty and power of reading aloud into my life today? I can't, it's hard to get everyone together or whatever. My advice is you start now, you start immediately that day, give it five minutes, 10 minutes, Choose a time when everybody's around. So you could do it at breakfast, right? Maybe when everyone's kind of chaotically running around. Or you could, might do it at dinner or during dessert or at some point, maybe at bedtime. Any time when you can kind of clamber together some, some listeners. And just start. Pick up something. It could be a poem that you love or an article in the newspaper or ideally, you know, a, a book that has some meaning for you. And just give it a go. And it, it can feel a little odd if you haven't been used to reading aloud. It can feel a little odd to start reading. And it can feel a little odd for the recipient to listen. But very quickly, you know, it has this, this transformative power that is really beyond my ability to even sum it up. And it's the kind of thing that to experience it is to realize that it's true. It really is. And, and in the lead up kind of to this interview, at one point you described reading aloud as dazzling. And I love that. I'd never heard it described as dazzling before, but it, it instantly brought to mind a lot of the dazzling moments I've had reading with my kids. And I was like, yeah, it is dazzling. But then kind of reality hits and you're like, but it's not always dazzling. No, absolutely <laughs> there are those moments. So I really appreciate that you had some practical tips and practical kind of situations in your book as well to give get people started. Yeah, I mean, look, life is messy. And life with children is especially you have young children. I mean, it's boy, that is the, the very definition of messy. Um, and you know, when I, I think one has to sort of roll with it a little bit, you know, sometimes there will be a book that actually nobody likes, or sometimes uh, everybody is just you know, they're just difficult and, and chaotic. And, you know, and some children don't want to sit still. Some children don't want to sit on the lap. I think that's fine. I think you, I think, you know, rolling a little bit with it, just playing with it, having fun with it. One of the dangers I think about you know, talking of the extraordinary, you know, cognitive and social emotional benefits of reading aloud is that it sounds a little like medicine. And actually it, it is medicine in the sense that it is wonderfully enriching, but really it's a joy. It's just the most wonderful way to have time together with your children. And also it makes it, I mean, I have to say, so my, I lived in Japan when my first baby was born and I was pretty, you know, I was pretty isolated out there. It was a small uh, community of people I knew, but not many. And I had this baby and I had no experience of babies, but I did know that I was going to read aloud. And honestly, I feel as though those hours of reading to my infant taught me how to be a mother. You know, it was a way to be with her when I didn't know how to be with her. It was a way to give her something when I didn't really know what she needed. And it allowed her as she grew to sort of teach me what she was interested in or what she, you know, it was just wonderfully sort of collaborative process where 
I was teaching her things through books and she was teaching me how to take care of her. I, I mean, I don't want to get too carried away with it, but really I do feel as though the book, the books were a wonderful tool that worked in both directions. They really are. I've been really surprised at how they help my kids communicate with me. My two-year-old is still not talking well. She's finally putting two words together. That's that's progress. But I know a lot of times what she's thinking because of the books that she brings me and the books she chooses at bedtime. Those are the things that are important to her. And so they they are dazzling in ways that we don't expect and and won't know what they are until we start and until we actually start reading with our kids. Well, and, and, and the truth is, you know, just by reading to her, and this is very important. Some people think you shouldn't read to babies because they aren't, you know, they don't speak English yet, as it were. Uh, no, the more you read to them, the more is going in. And you're really, especially you, the mother reading to your, to your children is really helping the architecture of their brains kind of process language. Um, we know, and this is something I cite in the book, that when a newborn infant hears his or her mother's voice, their brains kind of, you know, it all sparkles to life, the language structures, because they're really, you know, they're hardwired to understand speech or to, to eventually develop the capacity to understand speech. And their mother's voices are really crucial. And so all that reading you're doing, even if she doesn't seem to get it, you know, or, or when she was younger, just keep going, keep going, keep going, because the words are going in. And she's learning a lot. And then all of a sudden, you know, out, it, I'm sure, I mean, you know this from having older children, all of a sudden they're articulate. And it doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from infusing them with language. And language is so, it's such a pleasure in itself, right? I mean, it's so, there's so many delicious words and wonderful scenes that you can conjure with language. And again, this is something I point out in the book, you know, language is free. It's for everybody. It belongs to everybody. Everybody has a right to it and everybody has access to it. And so it's a kind of enrichment that we can give that costs us nothing but a little bit of time and a little bit of devotion. And it's definitely worth that price. I know from my own experience and the experience of people around me as well. And the people we talk to on our podcast, which is part of the reason why we started this is because we wanted to bring people together and put together all of this evidence, both scientific and anecdotal, of this is what can happen in your life if you if you make books a part of your family and a part of your kids' lives. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we've talked a lot about reading to children and in the in the domestic context where you have parents with at-home children. But you know, there is another time of life with parents and children when reading aloud can play a really important and a nutritious role. And that is later in life when the child is the adult, is an adult, and the parent is elderly, that we've seen some amazing things. And there's a lot of research now going on in England about this, about what reading aloud can do for the older brain. Partly there's a kind of cognitive spark that you can get as, you know, old pathways open up. And there've been some amazing stories about people suffering from Alzheimer's and other dementia conditions, suddenly, as it were, coming to themselves and becoming themselves again when they hear a poem or a song or a text that they knew from, from earlier in their lives before they were afflicted. But it's also this fantastic consolation. And it's a way, reading with an older person is also a way to be with them and give them something when conversation might not be that easy. Sometimes I think of books and, the, and reading them aloud as like a bridge where you can meet people with whom it would be hard otherwise to connect. 
that could be an adolescent when, you know, sometimes there's not a lot to talk about when you have, a, as I did, one son who at 14 was just about impossible to talk with, but I could read with him and he loved it. But also with, you know, with older relatives, if someone's in the hospital or can't speak that well anymore or is somehow locked away behind dementia or some other condition, reading aloud is this gift you can give and it allows the person who's very late in life, maybe to sort of travel up and out from their situation into the world of literature and books and words and mental imagery. And it allows you as the person who loves them to give them to give them that escape hatch, if only for, you know, half an hour or an hour. I mean, reading aloud is really, it is, it's, a, it's, it's the gift that gives at every stage in life. And it's important to remember that it's not just something to do with children. I really love that. And that's not something that we've we've looked into and talked about on our podcast yet, but listening to you, it makes me want to find out more and learn more. And that's definitely something that we, that we want to look into. And I love that you, that you brought that up in your book and, and this whole new possibility for reading aloud. And when you were saying that you read aloud, read aloud with your husband now, it, it kind of made me feel better because I know the time is going to come when my kids get older and won't sit and or won't even be at home to to sit and listen to me read. But knowing that there are these other times with my with my spouse, with um, relatives or or friends who are getting older, that keeps this this bright part of my life, which is reading with other people alive. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you something. I mean, I. I started reading to Hugo. I mean, we'd, we'd done a little bit of reading when we were sort of courting, you know, we'd read poetry back and forth and that kind of thing. And then came the hurly burly of raising five children. And we still have, you know, as it were, one and a half of them at home. Well, the day that we're recording this interview happens to be the day that the book came out exactly one year ago. And it was one of the early appearances I had in Washington. And I was approached by an elderly couple who were very excited about the book and the and the topic because they themselves had just started reading. Uh, she had started to reading to him because he had suffered some macular degeneration. And they came up to me at the end of this event where I'd been talking about the Enchanted Hour. And they said, we just have to tell you, we have been reading aloud together and our marriage has never been better. It's never been happier. So I was like, fine, good. I came home that night. I'm like, Hugo, we're going to have a happier marriage than ever. I'm going to read you. And he was like, great, let's do it. And, uh, and it, you know, I don't know if I can, if I can, I can say that it's happier than ever, but it's pretty happy. And I think that reading aloud with each other um, has been, you know, a, a great enhancement. That is so wonderful. It gives me so much to look forward to. I have never looked forward to my kids being out of the house and I still don't, but there's this little shining thing that I'm like, oh. Yes, there are things to look forward to. Oh, yes. Oh, the story goes on. Yeah, I think, look, it is hard to let them go and you have to let them go. And the great thing is if you do let them go and you're just excited about letting them go off into their lives, they want to come back. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, this is a little off topic, but I've seen with, you know, other people in I've observed the parents who kind of nag their children about coming home or calling or who reproach them for not being home or mourn the fact that they've gone off into their lives, that is not pleasant for the children and they don't want to come home as much. So, you know, it's like that old poem or that old saying, you know, if you, if you love something, let it go and it will come back to you. All right. Well, so we were talking, <clears throat> I'm all, I'm all now thinking about my kids growing up and leaving. I, know. <laughs> I need a moment. I need a moment. All right. <laughs> So I love talking to people on the podcast because they're all usually really good readers themselves. 
I'm excited about it. So I like asking them what they've been reading lately. So if you don't mind, is there anything that you or even any of your kids have been reading lately that you're excited about? Well, I'll tell you what I've gone back to is a book um, that I actually recommended at the end of the Enchanted Hour. Um, It's an amazing novel uh, set in Australia during fires. And the novel is called Ash Road. It's by an author called Ivan Southall or Southall. I don't know how we pronounce him. Um, And I think he published it in, gosh, I want to say 1963, something like that. So it's, it's as it were, a vintage book. It is the most incredible, incredible read about what fire is like, terrible wildfires in Australia are like, very much of the moment. And uh, Ivan Southall's command of language is quite extraordinary. It's a it's a novel that you could read to, to certainly to your husband or wife. You could read it to children of maybe over the age of eight. I think I read it to my daughter when she was nine, uh, my youngest. And it's also a great read on its own. He manages to capture the splendor and the horror and the variety of colors and shapes and the reaction of what the wind feels like. It's, it really puts you into this uh, situation. You know, fires in Australia have been a chronic problem. And they're worse than ever, of course, today. Um, so I highly recommend Ash Road as a read for for right now. It's 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 a great book. It can be read with pleasure by adults and it can be read, you know, in, a, in the family context as well. It's a fantastic book. I love book recommendations. And that one sounds amazing. And like you said, very, very timely for right now to kind of get a, a better idea of what it's what it is like over there. We've been talking a lot about the fires in Australia, but very few people unless you live there know what it's like. Yeah. Well, we've got one more question for you, but before we get to that, where could people go to find out more about you and all this wonderful information and and your book and everything that we've been chatting about? Well, two places to find me. One is in the Wall Street Journal. Um, I have a column there every Saturday and it's in the weekend section or it's actually called the review section. So have, have a look for me there. You'll see my smiling face in the dot drawing and I write about contemporary books as they're coming out. And then the other place to find me, of course, you can find The Enchanted Hour in any reputable and probably even disreputable bookstores. But I do have a website as well and it's megancoxgurdon.com and that's spelled M-E-G-H-A-N c-o-x-g-u-r-d-o-n.com. And uh, there's a bit about me there. Uh, There are links to buy the book, uh, which is, by the way, coming out in paperback any second, and is also out in German and coming soon in Spanish and a couple of other languages. And yeah, that's where you find me, in the journal and at megancoxgurdon.com. Wonderful. Well, we like to finish off our interviews with a suggestion for anyone listening that they can take away and get started with what we've been chatting about. So what is something that you could suggest to everyone to do this week? So I hope that this week, everyone who's listening will take the leap, if you aren't already someone who reads aloud, and give that gift to someone you love. So it might just be a poem that you love. It might be something that you've seen in the news that you find funny or interesting, maybe not depressing like the news so often is. And and just go ahead and read it out loud while some, you know, maybe while your kids are at breakfast, read to them and experience that joy and magic of the, of, of words liberated from the page and just delivered through the air to the listener. It's reading, but it's reading of a different kind. And for the people who are listening, it's reading of a kind that allows them to relax and just take in whatever you're saying, because it's very easy to hear things. It's very easy to make sense of words that are spoken to us. Easier, I dare say, than it is to make sense of them on the page for those who struggle with reading. 
We definitely agree. And we are definitely going to take your challenge this week and hope that everybody else does as well. And we are so grateful that you came and joined us for a little bit today. And thank you so much. Oh, my, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, we are so, 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 so grateful that Megan was able to come and talk to us. And it was a fun interview. Megan, I really appreciate just her use of of language. She's just a great author and her book is so well written. Even though she talks about some things that... It, it's nonfiction, but I don't want that to scare anyone away if that's not your genre of choice, because it's such an approachable writing style that I don't feel like, I, I don't know, Jill, you're not typically a nonfiction girl. What did you think of of it? I'm not. I was about to jump on and say, I'm pretty sure I've talked on the podcast before about how I am fiction, die hard. Fiction is my go-to. I have a handful of nonfiction books that I have really connected with and and dug into and and read nonstop the way that I do fiction, and this is one of them. This is one that that hooked me and gripped me, and so that is saying a lot from someone who generally ranks nonfiction pretty far below fiction. So, and yet, me nonfiction girl over here, I am still in love with this book. So, <laughs> I think it. It really does appeal to um, all different reading preferences, for sure. I hope that if you are on the fence about reading or if you know someone in your life who would benefit from a little gentle nudge, you know, I wholeheartedly recommend that you check out The Enchanted Hour. We are so glad that everyone joined us for this interview because it was a wonderful one. We hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. And we hope that you will go and check out the book because it it basically says everything that we're trying to say with our podcast over here. And just that love of books and love of reading, we want that in all of your lives as much as it's in ours. We'll be popping up quotes from the book and, and different things that stood out to us on our social media sites. So go ahead and check us out. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so we'll be featuring some different different things from the book this week. So check us out. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again next week.